today's scripture reading is from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Crawford Stevener. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, I'm the RUF campus minister at Stanford University. That stands for Reformed University Fellowship. And if you don't know anything about that, that is the denominational college ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA, uh, which is the uh, denomination that Grace Prez is affiliated with. So Uh, We have the double privilege, my family and I, of counting this as our home church where we worship, me, my wife Rachel, and our four kids, and it's also our our sending church and our our partner church on campus. So uh, I'd love to get to know you and and share with you a little bit about our ministry there on campus. Uh, If you are interested, and if you're a student here and you're not uh, involved in our ministry on campus, we'd love for you to come check that out. But of course, that's not the reason we're here this morning. Uh, The reason we're here this morning is to hear a word from the living God. And we've just read Psalm 127, uh, which is a psalm of wisdom that speaks to us, how should we live in God's world? So let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have brought us here into the space together to worship you, the one true and living God. We thank you that you are a God who has revealed himself to us through your scriptures. And God, we ask now that you will do what you promised to do when your word goes out, that it will not come back to you void or empty, but accomplish its purpose. Have your way with us this morning by your spirit, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So a student glides into the Tresseter Memorial Union bike parking lot, impressively dismounting his bike while it's still rolling and attaching his U-lock, securing his bike before walking over to my table uh, near the Tresseter Starbucks on campus. He's four or five minutes late, and he sits down. He's, he's just late enough to be punctual, to be considered on time. Um, but uh, he's also, you know, just late enough to, to say, hey, I don't have a lot of time for this. My week's busy. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got some things to do. I try to tell this student about Jesus and how God's work connects with, with his work uh, on campus, but I'm not sure it's clicking. Then I get in my car and I go home and I walk into my house and I find, you know, my two-year-old who has emptied six ounces of 70 SPF sunscreen uh, into her lap on her bed and is massaging it into her hair. <laughs> like shampoo, uh, while Zoom piano practice is happening in the other room, and my just-turned-five-year-old was roaming around the uh, house like a, you know, just having dropped her nap like a um, predator in the Sahara, um, looking for something to devour. And I try to tell myself, children are a heritage from the Lord, and they're a gift from God's hand, but I'm, I'm not really sure that it's clicking with me. 
So, so what do you pray for? If you're like most people, you pray for a few things. I wrote down three P's here for our performance, our protection, and our progeny. We pray for our performance at work. We pray for our performance at school or in our applications or in any productive pursuit that we are desiring to perform in. We pray for our protection, our well-being. We pray for our mental health, for stable housing, for good community, for decent and affordable DoorDash options wherever we need our food to be. Uh, We pray for our progeny, for our loved ones, for those that we care about, for our children, for our grandchildren, for our spouses, for our neighbors. These are the things that we bring to the Lord with our concerns. And the words of Psalm 127 are speaking directly in to our most pressing concerns. In the human experience, stress and worry and anxiety show up most painfully in the spheres that we most closely cling to in order to shape our identity, our work, our well-being, and those we love. And God in this psalm is speaking to us right where we feel the most pressure. So many of us were at an all-church retreat last weekend. If you weren't there, it's not too early to register for next year. It is too early, but we hope you'll come back. Uh, And our retreat speaker there, Dr. Paul Lim, referred to our work uh, and called us our, he called human beings covenant partners with God. And what he meant by this was that God has made partnership with humanity uh, to go about his business in the world, which, which means that there's intrinsic dignity and beauty to the work that we do as people partnered to the Lord. Now, on the, on the other side of this partnership, we realize that this partnership is far from on equal grounding. Uh, God is the Lord of the universe who speaks the universe into existence and oversees it with his sovereign care, which means that if we are to work independently of God, it is the ultimate exercise in futility. So this morning, I want us to explore what would it look like for us to tether our work to the work of God? What would it look like for us to bind up our cares to the cares of the Lord? And what would it look like to try living in God's world God's way? And how might this bring peace and rest and relief in the areas of our lives that are most riddled with stress and anxiety and pressure? So we're going to unpack the following statement. Apart from the Lord, our tireless work is in vain. And we're going to do that by looking at the three different aspects that the psalmist discusses. Our achievements, our security, and our children. So first, apart from the Lord, we can't achieve what we want. I'm speaking to a church full of a lot of people who got where they are because they set their sights on getting here, okay? Not everyone, but many of you, uh, which means that you'll have some some built-up bias against the truth of Psalm 127, that even if you are here and you are a Christian, uh, you might baptize your sense of self with Christian language. In other words, you might say something like, I'm here by God's grace, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I worked really hard to where I got to, I studied way harder than other people, and, uh, you know, I I really grinded to get where I've gotten. Now, in my work as a a campus minister, it's interesting, I get to spend a lot of time with current college students, any of you that are here, 
And uh, I get to talk with a lot of Stanford graduates as well, since I, I fundraise for my position as a campus minister. And with students, I spend a lot of time trying to convince them that life is more complicated than just a series of inputs that you can put in and get your desired projected outcome. That there's much more variables uh, in play here than this. And that they actually have a lot less control over their future uh, than they tell themselves. Now, with more seasoned alumni, it's, it's, it's actually quite different. I often hear when I speak with you something quite different. I hear you thinking like, I've got everything I wanted. I made it to where I wanted to go. I'd set my sights on this ambitious goal, and now I'm here. Now what do I do? Uh, in a sense, I've arrived, but it doesn't feel like it's enough. I've gotten what I've wanted, but it doesn't really feel like it matters. Your work maybe got the desired results, but it didn't give you the desired feeling that you were looking for. Both of these are different ways of saying, apart from the Lord, we actually can't get what we want. Whether it's getting the particular result or the particular feeling, none of it is possible apart from God's work. Now, thankfully, God reveals himself in the opening pages of the Bible as a God who is at work. You don't know anything about the scriptures. They begin in Genesis chapter 1 as a God who is creating the world, who is at work in the world, and he's doing so within the limits of a creation week, of a work week. And the days are numbered, and he labors for six days, and on the seventh day, he rests. Not because God got tired, but because he's demonstrating a pattern for people that he made in his image. Because God works, we are a people who work. Because God rested, we are a people who are called to rest. Now, uh, yes, we were made for work. I want, to, I want to affirm the, you know, the, the desire to create, the desire to innovate, to work, and to work hard, but we are not made to work without boundaries, without limits, or without rest. And it's this in verse 2 of Psalm 127, if you want to look um, at the verses there printed in your bulletin, that, that so sharply are underscored here. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So how is your relationship with your work going, whatever it is? Are you tempted to believe the lie that if you work hard enough, if you work long hours and you rise up early, that you can achieve your dreams, if you put all the inputs in, that you'll get the output you're looking for? Because the truth is you might do everything right and not end up where you hoped, or you might get what you want, but it's not really what you need. What if we tried it God's way? Instead of seeing our work, our projects, the building up of our houses as independent ventures in the world uh, that we are creating, what if we saw it through the true lens given here in Psalm 127 of our utter and complete dependence on the God who is at work? Our work as a participation in the work of God. At a minimum, this would mean seeing our work uh, on God's terms, we have limits, we have boundaries, we work uh, before God seeking his blessing, and we probably would begin to exchange uh, work with a mindset of an achievement with the work with a mindset of faithfulness. Now, with regards to rest, you guys know this, for, for millennia, uh, our ancestors' work days were tethered to the light of the sun. 
uh, you know, the sun comes up, it's time to work. Sun sets, no more work. And <laughs> with the advent of electricity and uh, compounded by our connected devices, we've been slowly lured into believing that human beings should never stop working, that we should always be on, always be connected, never resting. But staring us in the face as we look at the God of the Bible is not only the God who works, but the God who rested. God rested. Can you? So verse 1 of the psalm speaks of this house, the Lord building the house. And the word uh, here used for house occurs over 2,000 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. It's a broad word with wide-ranging uses. And I want you to remember that in the ancient world, the home was the economic center of their livelihoods. So the building up of your house is not just talking about the domestic sphere in my reading of this passage. The building up of your house could be the lines of code that you are writing. It could be the small business that you're scheming. It could be the graduate degree that you're pursuing. The building up of your house are the areas of your life where you are tempted to perform and to produce, where you're pouring your passionate energy into. And if you're anything like the rest of us, you will struggle in these areas of your passionate pursuits, where your livelihood is at stake, where your identity is so closely tied to turn this work off and to turn it back on in healthy rhythms of work and rest. Because that would require a radical act of faith. It requires living in God's world, in God's way. It requires remembering that apart from God, all of your work is in vain. Now, one of the most common phrases I hear from people who have been successful in their careers in Silicon Valley, uh, whether it be in, in tech or in Sand Hill Road or wherever it is, is this phrase, I was lucky. You hear that? Why do people say that? I was lucky. I was lucky. Is it faux humility, like referring to your grad school by the name of the city instead of the institution? I, I don't think that's what's going on. When people say I'm lucky, I think what, what's happening here is there's this, there's this innate recognition that uh, there, there is a nonlinear relationship between how much work we put into something and what we get on the other side. There's this sincere admission that there are plenty of other smart and talented people who have worked just as hard as we have and have not gotten to the same places where we've gotten, whether it because their story of origin, the opportunities, the way things shook out. And when people say things like, I was lucky, really it's just an admission that no matter what you've done or what you do, you are not the one that's ultimately in control of all of the outcomes of your life. And so for some of you, this lack of control over the future of your life is completely disorienting. And it's a cause of great concern and anxiety. And for some of you others, this lack of control uh, looks like this stoic resignation to, well, I can't control what's going to happen with me, so I'm just going to roll with whatever happens in some sort of fatalism. But Psalm 127 offers a different way for the Christian. In Christianity, we believe there's a God who is in control, who, though all-powerful in love, has stooped down low to make covenant with you through the blood of Jesus. And as you follow God, you get to see your work both as valuable and dignifying and worthwhile but, but ultimately, you get trust that the results of all of your work and all of your productive pursuits 
are tied to the work of God. And it's not only that apart from God, um, you can't achieve what you want, but the second thing the psalmist starts to talk about is that apart from the work of God, you can't secure what you've achieved or what you've gotten. So one of the tragic underbellies of success, of achievement, is the time and the energy that then follows in order to keep the things that you've gotten or achieved or acquired, right? So this is the most obvious in the political sphere where as soon as a public official is installed into office, the top of mind issue becomes re-election. And uh, you can see this in the business world. Uh, I was reading an article a few years ago that was written by a guy named Roger Jones in the Harvard Business Review titled, What CEOs Are Afraid Of? And one of the findings, he surveyed, you know, many executives, one of, the, one of the prominent findings of what CEOs were afraid of was that the greed, sometimes disguised as ambition, of employees underneath them on the corporate ladder were gunning for the jobs and compensation that they currently had. So it's as if climbing the mountain wasn't hard enough. Once you get to the top... Then you have to defend your space from everyone else trying to occupy the place where you are. And I think this dynamic is also at work at NIMBY uh, in, our, in our California real estate market. We're here, let's protect it. And the movement of the psalm then, as we see, uh, is somewhat natural going from the building of our house, the, the, the hard work of our productive pursuits, to the watching over of a city. Because the building of an empire is one thing, but the protecting of it, the defending of it is another. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't listen to a podcast without hearing an ad for a home security system. Uh, so, so it's like, whether it's Simply Safe or Vivint Homes or ADT, you know, it's like for zero dollars down, you can see your you know, potential home intruders in 4K HD with these wireless cameras everywhere. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not making light of of trying to secure our homes. Uh, We recently had something stolen, and it's a very violating experience. Uh, It's not fun. Um, But the point here is that the the ad makers always know, right, Uh, that we are all looking for security. We're desperate for safety. We want protection. And again, for for some people, this might look protection of our financial assets, our careers, our social statuses, and for others, it's a protection of our bodies, of our well-being, of our mental health. Think about it again. Like, what are your prayer requests? What do you ask for prayer in community group or from your friends? Um, oftentimes, it's prayer for sickness, for traveling mercies, for a stable housing situation. We have, we have real concerns over our well-being, our safety, over our cities, and so Psalm 127 is not saying don't, it's not saying be reckless. It's not saying be cavalier or unwise and, and don't take precaution in the preservation of life. That's not what Psalm 127 is saying. But it is saying a truth about God's world that apart from the Lord's protection, our massive investment in security and watchmen watching over our cities, defending our health and empires and lives, these things are totally in vain apart from the God who is at work. 
So there's this reason here where the psalmist is connecting our building the house with watchmen watching over the city, our creative works with the conservation of creation. These are the places where you and I will devote our energy and our anxious toil. These are the things that will keep us up at night, safety and protection. And uh, it's easy to become overwhelmed with these things because it's a moving target. Things are constantly changing. It's impo- it feels impossible to keep up. Parents, for those of you who've had a child that has struggled, you know this feeling. You get help, you get testing, you get consultation, and as soon as you sort of figure out a path forward, the child grows, the teacher changes, the situation changes. You need a new strategy, you need new meds, you need a new consultation. Uh, for those of you in your career, I mean, I imagine a lawyer who finishes her work on the case, already anticipating what the defense will be, already anticipating what the appeal might be, already anticipating what is the legal precedent that is forthcoming that may impact all of her work. Her head is on a swivel. These things are fluid. Security is hard to come by. Well, what if we tried it God's way? What if we listen to the words of Psalm 127 as we're overwhelmed with self-preservation and remember that our safety is ultimately tied up in God's care for his beloved? And this is a really good thing because the God of Christianity, if if you're here and you you don't know much about Christianity or the Bible, I, I want you to know that the God of the Bible is beautifully portrayed as a God who provides meticulous an extraordinary care for his beloved people. The images given in the scriptures are of a God who does not let a hair fall from your head or a sparrow fall from the sky without the will of God intending it to be so. He's described, as, as David mentioned, as God is described as the, as the keeper of his people Israel who neither slumbers nor sleeps. So because God is on the watch, God never tires, God never misses a beat, we can. We can rest. Yes, we plan. Yes, we pray. We put out watchmen. We wisely work. But in Jesus, we're able to rest. And this is good news for those of us who are desperately seeking peace and security. I was talking with a a neighbor recently about his contemplation of a career change, and he was lamenting the the utter exhaustion that's required in the Bay Area of of earning and earning and protecting and protecting and, 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 and kind of going up the ladder and earning more income, providing for his family, and all that was required to do that. And he looked at me in this kind of deadpan glance, and he was like, you must really be able to sleep at night. <laughs> I, I didn't really know how to take it at first. Because uh, he's, not, he's not a Christian. And, uh, he, and then he sort of elaborated and he said, you know, you're a, you're a pastor. You don't make a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, and um, the Steveners are generously provided for. Don't miss the headline of this, uh, <laughs> of this um, story. Um, but what my neighbor has, had yet to understand was that it's not because I'm a pastor uh, that I can sleep at night. In fact, there's, there's things about being in ministry that make sleeping at night difficult at times. Um, but he was actually scratching at a truth that's, that's given to all followers of Jesus, that, that in Christ, 
that if you know the God of the universe, there is this distinctive blessing that because the God of the universe is at work, because he's on the watch, because he's overseeing all things, we can close our eyes and rest. This is true for those that follow Jesus. And isn't this what you want? Uh, I'm kind of fascinated with Silicon Valley's obsession with sleep. Uh, when I moved out here four years ago, I noticed a lot of people talking about sleep debt. And people were tracking their sleep on, on their apps. And um, then there came the kind of mainstreaming of wearable biotech with watches and rings and all these kinds of things. And the irony was not lost on me that, you know, sleep had become work. Sleep had become a problem to optimize. And uh, I, I, often, I often refer to Psalm 127 as the quintessential Stanford psalm. Uh, but it could just as well be dubbed the quintessential Silicon Valley psalm. Uh, and what I'm referring to that is I'm usually talking about just the first two verses, which provide a lot of insight into our work and how we work hard and the security that we look for in our mindsets as we approach, as we approach our work. But what about verses 3, 4, and 5, which at first blush kind of appear to be like a sharp left turn uh, when it starts talking about children? The psalmist is saying we're, you know, we're, we're building things, we're building our houses, we're protecting our cities, and then all of a sudden it's like, and children are a heritage of the Lord, which is undoubtedly being printed on some like, nice tea towels right now in someone's Etsy shop for Mother's Day, Happy Mother's Day again. Um, but what's the connection between our laboring, our work, our toil, our, perfection, or our performance, all these things, what's the connection between that and our progeny, our children? Uh, this is the third area where the, the psalmist begins to speak. Children, the having of children, the raising of children, are yet another domain in which human beings made in the image of God are reminded we are utterly dependent on the Lord. Verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord. This, this heritage word in the Hebrew is the same word used for the land that God gives the Jewish people. The land is this huge thing in the Old Testament that is, that is a fulfillment of God's promises to his people, that is this inheritance that's given to them. It's a gift given to God that requires stewarding and keeping and caring about. Do we see children as a gift? Apart from the Lord, sometimes it's hard to. Uh, much of this would require a completely separate sermon. I'm going to touch on this, you know, quickly here. Uh, but, but fundamentally, Psalm 127 describes children as a blessing given from the hand of God. And while it's true that in the ancient world, uh, because of the, the home-based economic system, you know, the agrarian uh, way of life, that, you know, many children would have been, you know, an economically, you know, prosperous idea that if an ancient Hebrew had a bunch of sons. He was like made in the shade. That was a good, that would have been a really, really helpful thing economically. Uh, and, you know, he could go, like many arrows in his quiver, he could go to the city gate and seek justice there in this kind of clan-based society. It's, it's also true that, that today basically the opposite is true, right? Uh, where many of you have seen the graphic about how much it costs to raise a child on Investopedia, which clocks in at over a quarter million dollars, and that doesn't include college, and that's not adjusted for the Bay Area. So, um, you see, you see, our children, this question is before us, are children still a gift? Are they still a blessing when not economically prosperous? Are children still worth celebrating in a, in a resource-limited earth with densely packed population centers? 
I mean, some of you have real environmental concerns, genetic concerns, human sexuality concerns about a religion that sort of expects you to reproduce. This is a, this is a strange thing. This is a confusing thing. This is a difficult thing for some of you. And I think it's one of the great things about the Bible. It's always challenging our default way of thinking about things. So as we look to Scripture, we, we see that while we live in a society that we're surrounded by that values work and production and efficiency over the care of the weak and the vulnerable, this is a much-needed observation for us to see that the Bible places an extraordinarily high value on children. In God's economy, children are not seen as barriers to productive work. Children are not problems to be solved or things to manage and kind of figure out so we can get on to the thing that matters. They are gifts from God that require faithful stewarding. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say that God is telling you that there's one particular way that you should figure out this juggling act between all these different domains and spheres of responsibilities that God may or may not have given you in this particular season. Um, These are difficult questions. These are wisdom questions. Um, But I did ask my wife Rachel about just kind of her reading of Psalm 127 here. It is Mother's Day. Um, And I love what she said regarding the value of children um, from Psalm 127. Uh, She said that the psalm reminds her that we are not God's project. We are God's people. And and our kids are the same. They are not God's project. They're his people to be nurtured. And so when we get caught up in parenting with this sort of how-to-do-it-right mentality, we miss the point. We miss God's design of dependence upon him. So do you see how the psalmist is weaving all of these different aspects together in the same chapter? Children are just yet this other sphere by which God stoops down and invites us to work alongside him as his covenant partner. And this is amazing, because if you're, a, if you're a parent here this morning, you need to hear from God that you are not alone in your parenting. It is not a solo venture. God has not given you this, this stressful burden of having and raising children for you to figure out on your own, even though we tend to look at our children in the same way we look at our work. We rely on expert culture. We take matters into our own hands. We go in full steam ahead. We try our hardest. We go out of the alone. But what if we tried it God's way? What if we parented with the recognition that God loves our children more than we do and that he is at work among them? Now, I I fully recognize that not each aspect of this psalm touches every person in this room and in the same way and in this season. And that can be a source of pain. Some of you in this room are looking for meaningful work, are looking for a place to pour out your passionate pursuits and productivity. Some of you in this room are struggling with fertility. You'd like to have children or desire a family. You'd like to get married. And some of you are, are not in, in pain, but have, have discerned a call to singleness or a, a different uh, path of honoring God with your life, which the, the Bible fully affirms. But if you, try to say, if you try to say everything in one sermon, you end up saying nothing, right? And so I, I think what's happening here in Psalm 127 is is the psalmist is giving a kind of a map of the normative 
human life of working before God. So whether or not you have a job in which you are desperately trying to perform, or whether or not you have these valuable assets that you're trying to protect, or whether or not you have children that you are struggling to nurture, at the most macro, big picture level, Psalm 127 is painting a picture of life as God intends for his beloved people. All of our pursuits, all of our efforts, all of our passions tied up in dependence upon the God who is at work. You can't do it without God. You cannot do life on your own. Do not be fooled. God did not make you independent. He made you lots of things. He made you valuable. He made you moral. He made you creative. He made you, he resourced you. He gave you gifts, but he did not make you independent. This, this psalm is a, is a part of a group of psalms called the, the Songs of Ascents. It's the closest thing to an ancient Christmas carol. They were sung at a particular time of year with you know, family on this journey up to the temple in Jerusalem. And um, I, I think it's significant to, to see this because we can see that it's God's desire. It was his desire that this song would be woven into the fabric of his people. That God's people were to know that we are not independent. We were to sing about our dependence upon the Lord. We need to remind each other of this. In our current setting, in our church community, we need to recall that while we labor hard, while we work hard in our productive pursuits, in our, in our families, we have them, we do so wholly dependent upon the God who is at work among us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us alone, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God, with us. We thank you that you've invited us in to participate in your kingdom by working alongside you, and yet what a, what a joy and what a peace it is to know that you are at work among us. I pray that uh, you will comfort those of us this morning that need comforting pray that those of us that you are calling to repent this morning will receive the grace of repentance from you. And we can look to Jesus as our only hope, as our only comfort in life or in death. It's in his name we pray. Amen.